Good morning, everybody. Happy 5th of July. We, uh, we were among those that were out uh, making a lot of noise last night. So there's, it's, it's some, some cities in Montana, you know, fireworks aren't allowed except for their the community's official fire display. Well, that's not the case in Townsend. So if you want to participate in a war zone, come to Townsend on the pretty much from June 30th till probably July 6th. It's, it's pretty wild. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So we, we did blow up a lot of stuff. And I, I always have ringing in the ears due to just not taking care of my ears when I was growing up. I, I uh, had this, I was like, I was a 12, oh, 13, 14 year old boy. And I had this little 22 pistol six shooter and I practiced my fast draw. But cowboys don't wear earplugs, they're not cool. And so because of that and some other, a lot of other shooting when I was growing up, I, I have uh, diminished hearing, but that, that's, my children have learned from that. Now I make them wear stuff all the time, mowing the lawn and everything. So while, uh, while I'm getting ready and kind of introducing this, if you want to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 7, that's where we're going to be spending our, our day, Romans 7 and 8. And uh, this, this is actually the message that uh, kind of inspired the series that we're in right now. Back in May, I talked to JR and I said, I really want to teach on Romans chapter 8. And so we um, were working through that, and then basically we, uh, JR ended up having us do this entire series on spiritual warfare uh, with kind of this as the, as the center. So, so good thing you're here today. This is, this is the one. This is the one. Um, and I was thinking about that this morning, and I was thinking about the fact that this is one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible. This is the... You're going to walk out of here just on fire, excited, and full of, full of God's encouragement. And I was thinking about an old movie, an old Disney movie called Pollyanna. Has anyone seen that movie? And there's this famous preacher, uh, well, uh, Carl Malden, who's a, who's a legendary actor, is playing the preacher. And when he starts off, he is not Mr. Encouraging. He starts off his first sermon. He comes, comes up here, and he's got this scowl, and everyone's sitting there tense, and he starts off, and he goes... Death comes unexpectedly. And that's the beginning of his sermon, and it wasn't encouraging. And then later he gives an encouraging sermon. So I was thinking about that. And, and the reason that so many times people are not encouraged in their faith is because they are feeling oppressed by the fact that they aren't good enough, right? They can't measure up to this standard of perfection that God requires. Well, we know that's never been God's intention. God's intention is not for us to become perfect through our struggle, but is to, re, to surrender our struggle to Him, to accept salvation through Jesus Christ, and then He justifies us, and then He aids us in our struggle. So that's really what today's about. But before we get to that, we have to talk about what this struggle is. So if you go to the near the end of uh, Romans chapter 7, this is Paul prepping for what, what the encouragement of chapter 8. He's preparing that uh, by talking first about the difficulty that he has as a Christian, living as a Christian, and yet failing repeatedly in his struggle against sin. For I do not understand my own actions, he says. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. 
I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Sound like all of us, right? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Just probably a, a struggle that many or all, really all Christians can identify with. We want to do the right thing. We want to be holy. We want to be perfect, but we don't have the ability to carry it out. And what happens when we get stuck in that cycle and we, we're like we're in this, you know, tar pit and we can't get out of it, then we hear this voice in our head. And it's our voice and it's the voice of Satan the accuser. And what is that voice saying? It's saying what Lloyd Christmas said, man, you are one pathetic loser. That's the voice we're hearing in our head, isn't it? When we're, we're fighting and we're failing. And that is the voice of two things. It's first the voice of Satan, the accuser. Do you remember, do you remember that uh, scripture that J.R. Uh, read last week? That Satan accuses us before God. And it's also our own accusatory voice that's in our own head. But that is not God's way for us. That's not God's plan for us. This is his plan. And this is the next thing that Paul goes to. This is where J.R. finished last week. But if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So if you want to go back and reread chapter 7. Chapter 7 is talking all about this war that's within us. The, the, the law of sin and the law of the spirit because because that's the war that's happening inside of Paul and he knows that that's the war happening inside of all the Christians and he's saying that Jesus Christ has set us free we are no longer under the authority of the law of sin and death we are he's he's prepared us and he's brought us to this place to live in his spirit and there's no condemnation no condemnation if you are a believer in Jesus and that's the first place you have to start with. You're not this pathetic loser who's failed. You are this person who's been delivered from your eternal death through the Spirit and the re redemption of Jesus Christ. So that's the, that's the beginning point. So this is an important point to understand. If you're reading Romans chapter 8, if you're reading Romans chapter 8, it's important to go back and read Romans 1 through 7 prior to this, Okay? Because if you dig through the Romans road, it, 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 where Paul lays out salvation in Jesus Christ, in Romans chapter 3, and Romans chapter 6, and then he comes back to it, Romans chapter 9 and 10, the, the whole point of that is he's saying, if you are a human being, you're a sinner. You have sinned. No one is perfect. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus as our Savior because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So, Romans chapter 8, he's now talking about after he's already explained salvation in Jesus Christ. If you are someone who understands and has accepted Jesus and has laid down your burden of sin and said, God, take it from me. Jesus, put it on the cross and kill it uh, just as, as you did everyone else's sins. If you've come to that point, now... You're where Paul is at the end of Romans chapter 7. I believed in Jesus. I accepted him as my Savior. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, but I still feel like a sinner. 
I still feel like a pathetic loser because I'm struggling with how to, how to live like a Christian, the, the standard of perfection that Jesus laid out for us. That's where we are in Romans chapter 8. This is not about uh, do these things to be perfect enough for God in Romans chapter 8. This is about Jesus Christ is already your Savior, and now this is how you walk out a life in the Spirit as a Christian. That's what this spiritual warfare is all about, isn't it? It's a war inside of us. It's a war in our mind. It's a war in our soul. And guess what? We can't win that war without walking in the Spirit. So that's what we're going to do. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Here's the, here's the struggle we have. It's are we living our life in the flesh or are we living our life in the Spirit? Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For if you set your mind on the flesh, it's death, but you set, if you set your mind on the Spirit, it's life and peace. So what does that mean? Well, and, and this is an unusual message for me because I usually have a whole bunch of cross-references and I'm jumping around between a bunch of things and I'm not going to do that today. But if you want to look at Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6 talks at the beginning about the, the fundamental per- principles of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And the first one of those is repentance from dead works. And what does that mean? Repentance from dead works means that I am not going to try and... Uh, work myself through my own will, my own skill, my own goodness, my own whatever, to a place of being good enough for God. Those are called dead works because you can't do it. And by trying to work myself to the place of being good enough for God, what I've done is I've refused to accept the, the free gift of salvation of Jesus Christ. And so this, for example, you can be a Christian who is well-meaning But if you're spending all your time working through your power to be good enough for God, you're still stuck in the flesh. You're still stuck in, Paul compares it to the law. The the Mosaic law was a whole bunch of uh, steps of how to be good enough for God, and you could never be good enough, so you're constantly sacrificing animals and giving different offerings. Well, Jesus was the offering. He was the sacrifice who who was was given once for all of us, and we don't have to go back and keep slaying anything again. We just have to accept His grace. Okay, so that's one way of how we work through the we 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 focus on the flesh rather than on the spirit. Another way is we simply say, "Well, I'm a Christian. I'm good to go. So now I can go back and and do whatever uh, whatever sinful things that I that I uh, you know enjoy." And that's giving our life back to a life of sin. That gives, as as Jr. mentioned last week, that gives the enemy, Satan, an opening to come in and take over our life. And what happens... Uh, I'm skipping ahead. It, it'll be in a minute. We're, we're going to talk about strongholds and how those, how those can affect your life. But here Paul is saying, don't live in the flesh. Don't live in the flesh of either giving yourself to sin. Don't live in the flesh of trying to, on your own, earn God's approval. Live in the Spirit, where number one, you accept the salvation of Jesus Christ, And then number two, you ask the Holy Spirit to wage that war on your behalf. Because Paul's waging this war, right? He's not a stranger to this, okay? In chapter 7, this is him talking about himself, a man who at this point has has been saved, has been a leader throughout the Christian world. He's he's speaking to the church in Rome that he founded, and he's he's, uh, 
the guy who is spreading the gospel to the Gentile world. And even in that point, when he's still a Christian and he's still doing all these things, he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members or in my, in my flesh another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he understands, no matter what struggle you've gone through, no matter what failings you've had as a Christian, no matter how many times you've wanted to, you know, beat yourself over the head, Paul's saying, I'm there with you. I've, I've been in the same battle that you've been in. So again, we're talking about how to win this war. But before we do that, the first thing to win a war is you've got to recognize you're in a war. And Paul's telling, telling us, telling the people in Rome, yes, you're, you're in this war. And even though you're a Christian, you can be winning or losing this battle of the flesh versus the spirit. And so, this was another verse that J.R. Had, had last week. We walk in the flesh, all right? We're here on this earth. We're here fighting the coronavirus and the political fights and the, you know, uh, you should have seen yesterday we were out at, at Canyon Ferry and it was like the, the boats that were coming through. Everyone was really, you know, um, courteous and everybody was waiting in line. But I was like, you know... This was, this was at 3 p.m. We're trying to get in because the storm was coming. If this was at, say, 9 or 10 p.m. and everybody had a few drinks in them, we would have had a riot right there in the harbor. We'd have had bumper boats because people, <laughs> there were so many boats trying to get out of that thing. And thankfully, you know, we didn't have a problem. But I imagine this could, this could really go downhill if, if people were a little more agitated. Those are some of the battles that we live in on this, in this earth, this earthly toil that we're in. Because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Those weapons are, that's the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about strongholds. What do strongholds, what does that mean? So I'm, I've spent a big part of my life in the Army, and we study a lot of you know, offensive and defensive battles, right? So a stronghold means something specific in the military. It is, um, you know, so think of, a, think of an old, I don't know, uh, movie where there's a medieval castle or whatever. They, they don't generally just build those castles in random places, right? You generally build a, a, a castle or a stronghold for one of two reasons. One is your, your headquarters, your last safe place where you're always going to be safe, okay? Your home. But the other is at a tactically or strategically important point, Okay? Let's say you want to control a river crossing, or you want to control a mountain pass, or you want to, con you want to uh, control something that is going to, it's, it's the likely route that your enemy is going to invade, and you want to have a stronghold there, and you want to have a, something that's a fortress that's defensible. You want to have enough supplies that you can outlast a siege. You want to have fresh water. You want to have a, an escape route. You want to have a communication link with other uh, supporting strongholds, okay? And you want to have enough people inside to adequately man it and defend it, but not so many that you, you know, um, you die from spread of disease or starvation because you, you can't hold out long enough. That's what a stronghold is. And so it's got defenses. It's got some kind of barriers. It's got the ability in more modern times to launch artillery. It's got, um, like I said, food supplies. And... Uh, generally, if you want to take down a stronghold, a couple of things you have to do. One is you have to isolate it, okay? 
So if it's a string, if it's a long string of forts and a, that tie a wall together, you, if you want to take one down, you have to isolate it so that it doesn't get reinforcement from other forces. Then you want to cut it off from supply, from more food, from more water, from communication. And then you want to find a weak point. And you want to begin prepping it by, you know, lobbing in. You know, if you watch like Lord of the Rings, they're throwing in these big fireballs or whatever. You want, to, you want to harass and weaken it by launching artillery at it. And then eventually you want to find a weak point in the wall. You've got to breach that weak point. And then you, we, we call that establish a foothold. And then you want to attack an assailable flank. That's a fundamental principle of, of warfare when you're going against any defended position is seize a foothold and then attack an assailable flank. You want to get them on the side or in the rear where they're weaker rather than attack them straight on. Unless you're in the Marine Corps, that's, that's what they do. Just straight on, let's go. Anyway, little Army war, uh, Marine Corps joke, never mind. Anyway, so think about that. If there's an enemy spiritual stronghold, and that's what this is referring to, right? The, po the power of God and His divine power to destroy enemy spiritual strongholds in us, in others, in our community. In other words, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. Strongholds are called that for a reason. They're strong. They're, they're, they're difficult to take down. And you can't ignore them. You can't say, you know what, we're going to bypass this and we're going to just keep on going. Because you do that, and then the enemy sends out forces from that stronghold and attack you in the rear or attack your logistics trains, right? They've weakened you. And so you have to deal with that. Occasionally, if they're small enough where you can bypass them, you still have to leave a force there guarding it to prevent them from coming up. But you can't ignore them. So spiritually, if we have a stronghold in our life, in our community, in, in our family, you can't ignore it. You have to do what he says here. You have to destroy that stronghold. But you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Part of the reason because that stronghold may in fact be us. There may be within us. And how, what's an example of how we let a stronghold develop in our life? In Romans 8, 7, he says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So if, if you're trying to live your life that I'm good enough, of course, Swanson's good enough on his own to go to heaven, he doesn't need Jesus Christ, I'm hostile to God's salvation, right? I'm hostile to the beginning point, which is recognizing I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. And I don't submit to God. That's, that's the beginning of a strong point, isn't it? You're not coming in here. I've got my walls. And I'm going to start building them up and, and digging them in. So that, that stronghold, whether it's in our life or in our ministry or in our family or in our community, wherever it is that we are waging that war for God, that has to be attacked. And that's only going to work if you're waging war in the Spirit. If you're not waging war in the spirit, number one, you're losing, and number two, you're probably reinforcing that enemy stronghold against you. So here's how we do it. A little bit later in Romans 8, and I would just encourage you to read this whole chapter. This chapter is so exciting. It's, it's just so encouraging. At the end here, it's, and you're going to see how he wraps it all up together, but he begins, he says, okay, first thing is, you're not in the flesh. Don't fight the battle in the flesh. You are living in the Spirit. How do you know that? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He has said, yep, you are mine. You are in the family of God. And 
The Spirit of God dwells in you. Your body may be dead because of sin. You may be living in this rotten, dead world, but your spirit is alive because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, so think about this. Look at this first part here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So let's stop right there. That's God, right? The spirit of God who is so powerful, he raised Jesus from the dead and he worked salvation for all humanity. That's pretty powerful. We can't go around forgetting this. We can't forget that this is the power of God that he wants us to tap into. We can't think that our battles are so great that they're going to defeat God's plan. We can't think that this mountain is beyond what we can climb. You ever hear this old Marty Robbins song, This Time You Gave Me a Mountain? It goes, you know, it goes on about you gave me a hill one by one, and I climbed them one by one, but this time you gave me a mountain, a mountain I may never climb. Great song. Very sad. Anyway, we can't think that God's given us a mountain that is beyond his power to help us climb. That's not how it works. He, he's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He created us. He saved us. He can accomplish these things through his will. It says, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. So first thing, stop fighting in the flesh. Recognize you're, you know, you're on the good guy's team. You know, I'm, I'm a prosecutor, so I always joke with these defense lawyers when we're, we're working, prepping for a trial or we're trying to settle a case. And, and uh, you know, I always say, well, you know, the good guys are going to win. And they kind of look at me and I go, I'm the good guy. In case you're wondering, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy. But it's, it's a joke. I mean, they're, they're doing their job. They're, they're doing an important job. But he's saying, you're going to win because you're, you're on the winning team to begin with. Because we are the children of God. We are not... Uh, we're not just these temporary house guests. We're the children of God. And remember what we talked about in chapter 7? The battle of slavery to law of sin and death or the battle of life in the Spirit. And he says here, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What's he talking about? where we came from, the fear that I'm not good enough, the fear that I can't be acceptable to God, the fear that um, no matter what I do, I'm going to fail. You're not in that world anymore. You were, you were saved, you're a child of the God, and you receive the spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You're in. You're in the family. You, when you're in the family, you're, he's not going to let you out of the family. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So this is, our, this is our ally. This is our companion. This is our champion in our fight, the Holy Spirit. Okay? We have Father, and we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And so there's a few passages in the Bible that I often point to when I want to kind of explain a little bit about the, the distinction uh, or how the workings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, together. One, the, the one that I think was discussed recently is, you know, there's the, 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 uh, the time when Jesus is getting baptized in the Jordan River, and John the Baptist is baptizing him. And, and then the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove on Jesus, and you heard the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So you had this amazing moment when all three were there, and some humans could perceive that. 
And if you go to the, in the book of 1 John, he talks a lot about how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, bear witness and they work together as these three witnesses of our salvation and working out our salvation. Well, this, Romans chapter 8, this next section, is another place that just does this amazing job of showing how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit work together to fight for us and to strengthen us. So you look at Romans 8.26, if you happen to have your Bible with you, and if not, um, I'm going to either read it or it's going to pop up here in a second. Okay. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Okay? And that's, that makes sense, right? A big part of this, of this battle in the Spirit is prayer. And I don't know about you, but prayer is one of the things I'm worst at. I mean, prayer is a fight. It is a fight. And that's what we don't understand. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual war that we're waging. And often what it turns into is that fight against our flesh. Back to Romans chapter 7, right? I remember when I was in high school or college, I can't remember, we get, my dad would have us go to these, uh, I don't know, every Thursday morning, 7 a.m. prayer meetings with all these other guys, right? So when you're 17 years old, you really want to go to a 7 a.m. prayer meeting and then sit around and listen to all these guys take turns praying. And, you know, I was better at it than my brother, but, you know, trying to stay awake and I'd, Nate would be right next to me, and when I hear him starting to nod or snore, I give him the elbow. And, but that was the war against my flesh. Not even, not even like how effective is my prayer, just to stay awake and pray. It was really hard. So we neglect prayer. I neglect prayer. If I'm the only one, then I'm preaching to myself here. But I neglect prayer. And then when we get into prayer, when we get really uh, fervently dedicated to prayer to God, our problem is sometimes we don't know what to pray for, or we end up praying for the wrong things, right? Let's make a deal. All right, God, here's what we're going to do. And if you, actually, if you go through the Bible, you'll see some really examples of really poor ways to pray. People are doing things like they're saying, if you do this, I won't ever ask you for another thing again. Well, that is not what God wants. He does not want us to say, Don't, I won't ever ask you for anything again. He'll be like, good, because I've been tired of giving you stuff to me. The, bag, the bag's almost empty. That's not what he wants. He wants us to ask. He wants us to, to need things from him. He wants to pour out blessings upon us. He wants to keep giving to us. And, and so he doesn't want us to ever have this deal that says, if you give me this, I'll never ask again. If that's the case, he's probably like, well, I'm not going to give it to you because I want you to keep asking. And then, you know, if you give me this, then I'll give you this. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to, you know, swap, swap cars or swap, you know, whatever junk. He, he has everything, right? He doesn't need us to do that. He wants us to give us, to give him his heart, our heart and our spirit and our, our, our dedication. He doesn't want us to hand over our stuff to him. And then this one is, is in honor of Colton, who I found out Garth Brooks is his favorite favorite country music singer. <laughs> you ever, who knows this song? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. So this is how technologically bad I am. I was trying to figure out a way to record part of that and play it in this thing. And after two hours, I gave up on it. So, but what's the point of this? Unanswered prayers. 
Well, a lot of it's because we're not actually praying for stuff that is, that is what we need. We're not praying for stuff that's in accordance with God's will. We're not, we're not praying in a way that gives Him victory in our life. We're not praying in a way that helps us win this battle in the Spirit versus the flesh. We're pl- praying in the flesh. We're praying, I want that new Trans Am. I want that girl. I want that, uh, you know, win the lottery. Whatever it is, those aren't prayers that are in accordance with God's will. And that's what he means when he says, we don't even know what to pray for as we should be praying for it. But he has an answer. This, this you know, I said that this, this uh, message was kind of the, 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 I guess, the beginning of the idea for this, ser- this uh, series. Well, this next scripture was the beginning of the whole thing. So if you go to Romans 8, that's long, 16 through 28, but I'm just going to read a couple of key portions. 26, uh, 27, probably 28. I might have it up here. I do. <clears throat> this is exciting. So he says at the beginning, we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. Okay? That's the part we just did. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes with us with such fervent fervent, uh, desire to see us blessed and to see us carry out God's will. And probably in spiritual language and spiritual meaning that defies the ability for humans to communicate it or capture it in words, any language. So we're into the deep things of God here. There's a scripture that says the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. That's where we're at right here. That's the Holy Spirit is praying for us, for you and me, for each one of you, in, in, in a way that is beyond our ability to understand or to communicate. And look at this next part. This is so incredible. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. We're talking about God here. God knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So you think about all those scriptures. Jeremiah, where he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, right? Think about all those things where the Bible says, it is the will of God that none should perish but should come to the knowledge of the truth. All those promises of God's goodness for us and this scripture says that, that <laughs> this is so cool, that the Holy Spirit knows the will of God and then prays to God to, for that will to be carried out, and that God is guiding the Holy Spirit in what to pray. Look, think about that. It's like, um, God, what do you want? What do you want for Tyler? Okay. I'm going to ask you. You you want to give that to Tyler? Okay. I'm going to ask you to give it to Tyler. And they're they're as close as it can be. So years ago when I was a little kid, my dad wrote this song, and the beginning of it is, before time began, there was the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one, a mighty mystery, a perfect harmony. Okay? Before we ever came on the scene, there was this perfect harmony and mystery among these three. Okay? Look at this. This is how a way that it's illustrated. The Spirit 
The Spirit is praying for us, for God to carry out His will, and God's telling the Spirit what to pray for for us to carry out His His will, His good plans for us. And so here we are, we're back to now, the good news. Remember I said this is the most encouraging, one of the most encouraging chapters? Because of this. We're at this point where we've covered all this ground that we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We are perfect in the eyes of God. We are His children. We're in His family. And not only that, but we're fighting through this whole thing. Well, how do we be a good Christian and how do we live in this sinful world when we're battling our own flesh? Because we give the battle to the Spirit. We ask the Spirit to strengthen us. We ask the Spirit. In fact, he says to live in the Spirit. And how do we know that the Spirit's going to do the right thing for us? Because God's telling him, hey, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to ask for because I want to give it to you. And that's what he's doing. He's constantly interceding for us to carry out the very amazing, awesome promises that God has for us. So, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you remember this from a couple weeks ago? Satan accuses us. Remember that? Do you remember that thing at the very beginning? You are one pathetic loser? That's, that's Satan's accusation, accusation. But it doesn't matter because it's false. Because the next verse says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are God's elect. And no one can bring a charge against you. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn you? Christ? Of course not. God justifies you. So if Satan accuses you, he says, well, you're talking about my child. I look at them and I see the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. I don't see, the, uh, sure, there's, maybe they have some problems, but guess what? The Holy Spirit's helping them with that. But they are my child and you cannot bring a charge against them. And Christ is not going to condemn us, is he? Because here's what it says. Christ died. He rose again for us. He is now seated at God's right hand. Guess what? Jesus is also interceding for us. So you got the Holy Spirit interceding for us. Jesus died and rose again so that we could be saved. He gave his life for us. He loves us. And now he is interceding for us too. I mean, this you cannot fail when you've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit constantly working to carry out the very best for us, and to carry out God's will for us. So, the last part. This is exciting. If you want to write this down, this is exciting. Verse 37, Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't that incredible? We started at the end of chapter 7 where Paul is going, I'm a loser, I'm failing, I'm, I'm sinning when I don't want to sin. Who will deliver me? That's how we started, right? There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit fighting for us in our life every day, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That's God. And then the rest of that chapter, he says, nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things that are now, nor things in the past, nor things that are coming in the future, 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And guess what can't separate you from the love of God? Your own stupidity. Your own failure. Your own uh, screw-ups. Your own sin. But the key is, don't let the enemy build that stronghold in your life. Don't say, this part of my life is off limits to God. God doesn't have sovereignty here. I'm going to be hostile to God in this area. I'm going to let the enemy uh, dig in. Doesn't mean that the enemy's going to pull you out of the, the hands of heaven and take you to hell. What it means is the enemy is going to wreck the Spirit's ability to work in you and to bring more fulfillment and more life and more joy and more blessing in your life. If you give the enemy that stronghold, then the enemy is going to love it because he's going to defeat your effectiveness. He's going to defeat your joy and your happiness and your, your understanding that you are a child of God. He's going to accuse you and say you're a loser. And so what do you do? There's number one, as Paul says, live in the Spirit. Pray. And if you don't know what to pray, say, God, tell me what to pray for. And, and get, get with a team. Don't, don't fight this battle alone. Get with a team of Christians that, that are going to support you. And you're all going to, you know, be honest with each other. And you're all going to quickly realize none of you are perfect. Because we all know that, right? And then you're going to, you're going to ask him that if I do, in fact, have this stronghold, if I do have this area that I've held on to and that I haven't given to God, well, just like if you're a military unit, first thing you do is you isolate that, right? Is you don't let that spread into the rest of your life. You don't let that connect with the, the, the reinforcements of your, uh, maybe someone else that you're hanging out with who has that stronghold in your life. You find a way to get healthy, to isolate that, to bombard it with prayer, to bombard it with the Holy Spirit, and to find a weak point in that enemy defense and open it up. And that might be painful, but that is the spiritual war that has to happen on the inside of us before we can really be very effective at waging that war to, to spread God's hope to other people. And that's ultimately what this is about. This isn't just about, I'm happy with God, although that is so important. It's about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. And to do that, we've got to be living in the Spirit. But remember, you, if you're a child of God, you're in the family. Satan can't accuse you of anything. He, he has no authority over you. He has no power over you except for what you give him. And if you live in the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, he says, we are more than conquerors because nothing nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that exciting? We've got a bunch of straight faces out here, huh? Aren't you guys excited by that? I mean, this is, this is like, this is, the, this is the key to prosperity in the Christian life. So, I'm, I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your amazing, amazing goodness. You have poured out everything for us. You gave us hope in the midst of our death, you gave us life, your son, your amazing, amazing, it, he's part of you, beyond the mystery, beyond our ability to understand, and yet, Lord, we know that we owe you our, uh, our devotion, we owe you our love, and we thank you so much for this lifetime of walking with you that you want to, that you want to open up in us. And to do that, God, we want to walk with you. We want to walk with you, Holy Spirit. We want to learn how to work with you. We want to learn. We want to listen to you and what to pray for and how to, how to dig into, God, what is your will for me, for my family, for my life, for my friends, for those that I want to reach? 
And Lord, help us. If we've got some part of our life that we've held on to and we've said off limits to God, help us see that. Help us be aware and be willing to admit it and help us to just work with, with you, submit to you, work with other Christians, bring down that stronghold and open up that area of our life to the blessing and the excitement that you have for us. Thank you so much, God, for, for doing uh, so much more than we deserve, for giving us more than we could ever hope for. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your encouragement that we are more than conquerors in you. In Jesus' name, amen.